hours. Um, it's so cheesy. I, I asked for the cheap laugh. I get it. It's really kind of embarrassing. It's, it's like even less a laugh, but I keep going. Quite sad, though. Our scripture can be found in 1 John 5, 13 through 15. We're closing out our time in 1 John. And so, like anything, if you want to know what a book's about, you read the beginning and you read the end. And so we're summing up the book of 1 John. So here are these words, 1 John 5, 13 through 15. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we have asked of Him. The Word of the Lord. I was driving down the street recently, and uh, you ever come up upon a car, and you know they have a ton of bumper stickers behind, like we just covered the back of their car. And I saw this uh, bumper sticker. I've never seen it before. It's, it said this: "Well-behaved women rarely make history." Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever yeah. seen this woman? Well-behaved women rarely. So I thought to myself, "Is that true?" Yeah. Well, does that mean one would want to be like a Miley Cyrus because well-behaved women? She's making history. No. But then I thought, started to think about it. And you know, it's kind of true, isn't it? You know, I, I thought of famous women, Margaret Thatcher. Not necessarily well-behaved, the Iron Lady, but she certainly made history. Susan B. Anthony. Pocahontas. Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale. Madame Curie. Well-behaved women. I guess the statement being what the world expected of them if they stayed within these boundaries rarely would make history. You know, but that statement is probably can be put across the board, not just because of gender, right? Well-behaved people, perhaps, rarely make history. People that stay within the boundaries of where you are supposed to be, what you are supposed to do. Change occurs because somebody takes a step out of their comfort zone, does something unexpected that challenges the perspective of who we are as a people. I was looking through recently... uh, I don't know if you, if you type in the 25 images that changed the world. And I was looking through some of these images. And, uh, you know, there was the one of the Hindenburg, uh, the, you know, the Zeppelin or whatever that was uh, crashing. And the one of the, uh, the guy kissing the gal in World War II. And I, I saw this one and I remembered it. I don't know if you remember the story of this. This is Tiananmen Square in China, 1989, I believe. There was a, uh, one of the... Uh, heavy, uh, one of the elite party leaders in China had died and he was more liberal, he was open to reforms and they replaced him with someone else that was much more of a hardliner and so uh, hundreds of thousands of students took to Tiananmen Square to um, protest the direction of their country and China went ahead and started rolling in tanks and unfortunately you can only see four in this picture but A higher one would show that there's literally a column of a hundred tanks behind this one. And no one exactly knows who this guy is. They call him the tank man. And if you'll see, he has a couple of bags. They're shopping bags. Almost like he was just walking by and he saw these tanks and he said no more. And so he went and he stood in front of these tanks. And the tank stopped. And then the tank tried to go around him and he walked over and stood in front of it. Now here is all the might of China coming, which would have no problem of crushing this man like he was nothing, and yet he dared to stand in front. What was it that drove him to do such a thing? Where is the confidence that he has? 
tank man, by the way. Two folks came along and grabbed him. They were in blue suits and took him away. We don't know if at the end they were friends or if they were enemies. No one ever knows what happened to this man who took a stand in front of these tanks. Why do I bring up this point? I wonder if I was put in a situation like that. You know, what if the things that we believe all of a sudden are tested? You know, convictions aren't convictions until you have to actually put them to the test, are they? How would I respond? See, that's what this uh, chapter, this book, 1 John, is all about. A group of people who are in the face of persecution by their government, who have put everything on the line to say, I am a follower of Jesus. And they're wavering. They're in danger of falling backwards. And I think to myself, do I have the courage to be the person that I believe that I'm called to be? What about you? And what about me? We live in an age of uncertainty, don't we? I used to think that as long as my circumstances are good, I will have a good life. But no one can count on circumstances anymore, can we? Even in the United States of America. Now the thing that we can count on is can I be true to the person that God has made me to be? That is what God is calling us to. And that's what the Apostle John is saying here. That indeed, we can be confident in our faith. That the confidence we have in our faith can bring boldness in the way that we live. Because Jesus is our confidence we can also be confident before the world as well. And so, what I want to talk about is your life and my life. And to put it under the microscope of pressure, of taking a look and seeing, can I be like this man? Can I stand in the face of what everything in the world is saying to me, go this way? It's easier. It's less challenging. How do we live a life like that? We're going to look at three particular things. Number one, what is the foundation of our confidence in Jesus? What is the foundation? What do we stand on that can move us from uncertainty to certainty? Number two, the privilege of our confidence. How can we walk in it? Not only to stand in it, but to live in the confidence that God calls us to. And then finally, the peace of our confidence. See, I don't know about this guy. I don't know what's going on in his heart. But somehow, he had the foundation to stand in front of that tank. He had the privilege and living out the way he was supposed to. And I hope he had the peace that he had done the right thing, regardless of the consequences. Well, that's what John is saying. Let's look at this first passage right here. The foundation of our confidence. The Apostle John is finishing the book up. You know, if you wanted to only read one verse in the book of John, it would be this one. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's the whole summary of this entire why John has, been written, uh, John has written this. Because they are living in this uncertainty. If you remember, some people have come into the church, small church, probably like this one, have started sowing seeds of doubt. Jesus isn't the only way to life. You don't have to live in obedience to Him. You don't have to live a life that uh, is away from your culture. You can just keep on doing what you're doing. Don't put so much stock in this person called Jesus. And they are uncertain, just as we can easily be uncertain in the world that we live. But John is saying, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. But what are these things? We've been talking about them for the last 12 weeks, these 
things that John has been talking about, that the eternal God has become incarnate in His Son, Jesus Christ. And He is the true God. And that we can have life in His name. These things have told us that human beings are sinful. You and me, but we can have joyful fellowship with the Father through repentance and faith in Christ. These things have told us that those who know Christ must forsake sin and keep God's commandments. In particular, the commandment to love one another. John says, I have told you these things so that you who believe in the name of the Son of God may know that you have eternal life. He's writing to believers that you may know. Now why is it so important to know? I write these things to you who believe so that you may know. You know, you can have faith, but it'd be a very weak faith, right? If you had faith in something, you know, where you're like going to cross a bridge or whatever, and it's kind of a rickety thing, you know, and you put your foot out there, I think it's going to work. Okay, go ahead and walk across. Okay, our faith can only take us as far as the confidence we have in our faith. And you say, look, I write it, I know you believe, and I'm writing these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. See, John wants our faith to grow into its deepest dimension. Remember what faith is? Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. See, Jesus isn't a philosophy. It's not a standard of things of how to live. It's life itself. What is eternal life? We talked about this last week. He didn't say so that you may know that you have eternal existence. He didn't say so that you may know that you have eternal living. He said that you may have eternal life. And that's what we're looking for. The Bible tells us, John 17, 3, Now this is eternal life, that you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. What we are looking for, my friends, is to be reunited with the one who made us and to be at peace with him forever. I'm writing these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. How do these people know who believe? Because of what John has written to them. Wow, that's brilliant, Carlos. Thank you very much. <laughs> In a normal thing, it would be, but the point is that what is written is more than simply a couple of ideas to keep you going. Listen to Thomas. Remember Thomas? Doubting Thomas? Everyone else, they saw Jesus, you know? Thomas, if I don't see him, if I don't take my fingers and touch his hands and feel a side, I'll never believe. And lo and behold, Jesus comes that next week and shows, Thomas, touch me, my Lord and my God. And what does Jesus say? Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then it says, Now Jesus did many other signs within the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. How can we believe if we don't have anything to tell us that which is true? See, the Scriptures is the testimony of God reverberating throughout the ages to our hearts with the same power as that of God's presence being there Himself. See, I often say, oh gosh, if I had seen it, well then this would have been a whole different story. You know, there are 
people that Jesus walked right by the Son of God and did not pay him no heed, any heed. There are people that saw him raise people from the dead and started plot, uh, uh, plotting a plan to kill him. Now, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, where the Word spoken out of Jesus' mouth, or the Word which He has given to His apostles to give to His people. The life is found in the Scriptures. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so the Apostle John is saying to you that I have given you the words of life. I have written these things to you who believe so that you may know that you have eternal life. Paul put it this way to Timothy. From infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Jesus said that a time is coming when those who hear the voice of the Son of God will hear and will live. Christians believe crazy stuff, by the way. Crazy stuff. Okay, that God has come to earth in the form of a person, Jesus Christ, and has given us His words that He's placed in the Scriptures, that by them you may know Him personally and have eternal life. That's crazy. It's either true or it's ridiculous. But this is why people all over the world will spend their lives trying to translate the Bible into some crazy dialect just so they could get a chance to hear the Word of God? Do we see it as life? See, we may have a faith, but God has given us His Word so that faith can more and more become certainty. And so that is why John has written to them, and that's why John writes it to you and to me. So the foundation of our confidence is God's Word, and so we must strengthen it. The question is, do we? I don't know if you remember seeing the Beverly Hillbillies, that fantastic theological work with Jed Clampett and the other folks. Uh, it's on TV land if you have TV land, wherever that may be. I've heard of TV land. Well, you remember the Clampets, you know. He's out there, he's shooting at some coon, but he accidentally shoots up, you know, and up comes some bubbling crude, and it's black gold and Texas tea, and it's oil, and they become rich. And so the Clampets moved to Beverly Hills, and he lives right next to his banker, and you've got this, you know, a group of crazy folks here from the hills living in Beverly Hills. Brilliant, great idea. Well, you know, that, that's actually uh, adopted out of a true story. It's not of this particular couple, but this, this couple had the same deal. They, their name were the Jones, Neil and Ellie Jones. They lived in rural Tennessee, outside of, uh, oh gosh, what was that town? I can't remember, in the Smoky Mountains. Well, they were poor people, Neil and Ellie. Father had bought the land at about 90 acres of land, eight children. The problem was that the land was bad, and they couldn't grow crops on it. It was just bad land, and so they had eked out this meager existence trying to make this land work. So Neil would go out and he'd farm his miserable crops and try to come up with enough money to feed his kids, and he'd go out shooting and uh, you know, trying to bring home some game. And lo and behold, one day he gets a knock at the door. It's from Exxon Oil. Happens to be that there's a massive oil deposit underneath his land. And they've done some satellite stuff and they want to check it out and so forth. And you know, Neil, why not? <laughs> Go take a look. Turns out that this thing, he's struck it rich. There's a huge oil deposit under Neil's land. 
They tell him you're going to start getting checks once a month, probably for the rest of your life, $50,000. Now here's the million dollar question. When did Neil become rich? When the people told him that he had the money? Or when the first check came to his door? The answer is neither. He became rich when they bought the land. See, it had always been there. They just didn't know it. It took someone with the knowledge to tell them, to help them understand what it was that they had. I wonder how important the deed of land was to Neil after he heard from Exxon Oil, huh? I wonder how important the dimensions were that he would walk day by day as if to try to believe the truth of what has been shown to him. See, these things have been written to us so that we who believe in the name of the Son of God may know that we have eternal life. His word is living and active. It's the foundation of our assurance. My guess is that Neil Jones would pull out that letter from Exxon just about every day to remember that which is true. See, the greatest thing that we can desire, my friends, next to the glory of God, is our own salvation. And the sweetest thing we can desire in this world is the assurance of our salvation. In this life, we cannot get higher than to be assured of that which is in the next life is to be enjoyed. All saints shall enjoy a heaven when they leave this earth. But some saints enjoy a heaven while they are here on this earth. All saints shall enjoy a heaven when they leave this earth. But only some saints enjoy a heaven while they are here on this earth. And so the question is, who are you? Do you believe in the name of the Son of God? If so, do you know that you have eternal life? How can we know? Recognize what you have. My call as a pastor is to preach the Word of God. But I can only feed you so much a day, can I? For some of you, this is the only bit of scripture you'll read every week. And I take this responsibility seriously. But part of growing up as a believer is learning to let God speak to you directly Himself. These things have been written to you to believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. There's all sorts of messages that are coming at you every day telling you that the land's not that good, will never amount to anything, go this way, you may find something better. But you're sitting on the oil deposit, my friends. We can decide to live lives, weak lives that vacillate between faith and doubt, or we can plant our feet firmly on the promises of the Word of God. Which will we do? And so the priority we must have is this to understand the treasure we have and to manage it, to care for it. What does God say about who I am? What does God say about how important I am? What does God say about what the future holds for me? What does God say? I must have this information. Because all saints shall enjoy heaven when they leave this earth, but some saints shall enjoy heaven while they're here on this earth. God has given us a foundation, so we must strengthen it. But this brings me to my second point, that God has given us a privilege, and so we must live in it. What is this privilege? 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Now this is interesting, okay? 
This is the confidence we have for, uh, toward Him. There's a confidence I've been talking about, but this confidence is dynamic, isn't it? And you can have confidence in a lot of things. I have a fair amount of confidence that the sky is blue. But the fact that the sky is blue is not really changing how I live, is it? This is not an informational confidence, it's a relational confidence. This is the confidence that we have toward Him. A confidence that is never used is no confidence at all. But this is a confidence that's dynamic. It's between me and God. A confidence that God expects me to live in. If you analyze this word confidence in the Greek, it's a very interesting word. The first is the word parasia. It means speech. Freedom in speaking. Unreservedness in speech. The right to make one's thoughts known. To say one what one will. It's a citizen's privilege. The sign of his political liberty. The First Amendment, we would call it. I don't know if you've heard this, you know, million vet march and things going on with the, with the memorials. People coming to say, I... I, I have my First Amendment right to speak on this issue. Now, what if a, 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 someone from the Russian Navy came in and said, you know what, I want to speak on this issue as well. Say, so no standing. You don't have any fight in this game. You don't have any standing. You don't have any right to speak. But God is saying through the Scriptures that there is a confidence that we have that we can come to Him, to speak to Him. Even more than just as a citizen in a country, as a son in his house. This is the confidence we have for him. Freedom in speaking and boldness in coming. This is definition number two. A state of boldness, confidence, sometimes implying intimidating circumstances. The ability to present oneself before a superior without fear and before persecutors who may contradict or accuse. That picture of that guy at Tiananmen Square, do you think that he had some confidence? He had boldness to come before his persecutors, didn't he? And to speak with his life. And so the Apostle John is saying, this is the confidence that we have to come before him. That we can come before the God of the universe, who seeks not to crush us with his tank, but to lift us up on eagle's wings. And it says this, that if we ask... So in other words, let's look at this confidence that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Now I scratch my head a little bit with that. If He asks anything according to His will, He hears us. Well, so what? I mean, if an enemy asks something according to God's will, He's going to go ahead and do it, right? No, this is so much deeper than that. Because this passage here is connected with 1 John 5.3, which says, this is kind of the end statement, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments... And His commandments are not burdensome. What this passage is saying is that Christians have the right to ask God's help in keeping the commands that God has for them, according to His will. We have the liberty of access and speech that we may ask anything of God that God has revealed to us that He wants to do and be for us in this life. His word is a revelation of His will in the things which concern the salvation of man. All that God has promised, we are justified in expecting. And what He has promised, and we expect, we should pray for. See what it's saying? This isn't just that this is the confidence we have that I want a candy bar, and He says I'm going to have a candy bar, then I'm going to have a candy bar. See, the confidence that we have is we have an eternal Father 
who says, all of these promises that I have, I have for you. Ask me for them. See, the problem with this victorious Christian life is we can't live it. The problem with me is me. The problem is I know the person I'm supposed to be. I know the love I'm supposed to have. I know the compassion I'm supposed to have. I know the care. I know the patience. I know how I'm supposed to treat my wife, my kids, my friends, my church. The problem is I can't do it. But God has brought us access into this grace in which we now stand. That the confidence we can have, the boldness that we can have is we can come before the God of the universe and say, Give me patience. And He will. Why? Because He has revealed that He will. Now, how he revealed, how he's going to do that, we're going to touch on that in a second. What I'm trying to bring up to you, my friends, is that we all have wisdom for how we live. We all have discernment for how we live. We all have supposedly power for how we live. But where does it come from? And how confident can we be? I remember I was a younger guy, business guy, business development director. I had come up with a great idea for our company. The company said, look, we want to do this. And we wanted to, uh, here, here's our software, what do we do? And so I explained to them, because I had help, and I knew the architecture of software, I knew the, I knew the marketplace, and I said, look, here's what we do, this, 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 it's going to make us a lot more money, it's going to put you in control. They said, great, this is brilliant, let's do it. Okay, the only problem was the Virginia pilot didn't like it at all. Uh, I don't know that you've ever, ever had the, the uh, microscope of the press come down upon you. But uh, you never want to fight with someone that buys paper by the ton and ink by the barrel. And so there was this concept, and I worked for uh, the MLS. And, and so this concept, the only problem was we were the only ones doing it. And it was taking information out of the public space that homeowners wanted. And all of a sudden, people are pointing and looking for, who's the guy who did this? And it's me. Thank goodness the board didn't abandon me, you know. But I had a brilliant idea. It was the right thing to do. It didn't matter that thousands of people were upset at me. And let me tell you, when you have the lens of the press like that on you, and if you've ever had thousands of people upset at you, it can bring you to the ground. But here we see the confidence of one who can approach before a tank, a column of tanks, and stand there. See, this is the confidence we have when we come before God our Father. God, save for you, I cannot be the husband that I'm supposed to be. Save for you, God, I will not be faithful in this particular area. Save for you, God, but you say that I can come boldly before you. And your word says, do not be anxious in anything, but to give my requests to you, and that the peace of God will guard me in all circumstances. So God, I'm going to claim that promise. Why? Because you say I can. And God says He will. His divine power has given us everything we need. Take this example. Okay, right now a lot of issues with this Obamacare thing, right? Imagine that I wanted to go talk to President Obama. Okay? Walk up to the White House. I would like to talk to President Obama about some of these issues. Who are you? Carlos Rodriguez. Well, of course, that Reverend Carlos Rodriguez. You can't come in. What do you mean I can't come in? What if I tried to force my way through so I could go talk to Obama in the Oval Office? How many steps would I get before 20 linebacker-like Secret Service men jumped on me? They would take me down, right? 
I have no confidence before Him because I have no right. I have no standing. But not Obama's kids, right? See, I can go into the throne room of heaven itself by faith where all of the resources of the kingdom of God are made available to my disposal in accordance with God's revealed world to myself. Now that's confidence. The question is, will my faith be confident enough that I will exercise and stand in? We were designed for victory, my friends. But much like this church, we can fall into uncertainty if we listen so much to the world around that we don't listen to the one who has spoken and the one who is within us. Just ask, and I will give you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. The point is this, if God has given us a foundation of our confidence, the privilege we have is to live boldly in our assurances. Truth be told, your life is not what you are going to do as much as who you are going to be. You will not find Tiananmen Square, but Tiananmen Square might find you. And it might be someday in a place like that in front of 100,000 people, or it simply may be in your house where no one else is looking. The battle is all around us. Who gives us the courage and the confidence to live boldly? Where is the storehouses of power and wisdom that I must go to to live the life that God is calling me to live? God isn't going to change my circumstances. God is going to change me. And as I walk in confidence, my life may get even more difficult so that I experience more and more the victory of Jesus Christ as He's using me to transform the world around me. God isn't going to change my circumstances. So what's your struggle? What's your Tiananmen Square where you find yourself edging away from the tank? Maybe you've been run over a couple times too many. I don't want to go back there. I want to live a very safe life where my Christianity is very small and I don't ever have to take a step out of my two-by-two two zone. We're going to have to, my friends. Do you want to get to the end of your life and really ask the question, did I really live? Or do you want to get to the end of the question and be able to sit at your life and say, this I know that my Redeemer lived. I believe, and I know that I have eternal life. And what I'm going to experience in the next life is not going to surprise me because I have learned to believe that it is true. Confidence must be lived in. All saints shall enjoy heaven when they leave this earth. Some saints enjoy heaven while they're here on earth. This brings me to my final point, the peace of our confidence. 1 John 5, 15. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. What does this mean? It means this. You know, I ask God for things all the time. I believe that they're going to happen, and they come true in the strangest of ways. Because I want God so often to fix my circumstances, and God wants to change me. God, I don't want to be anxious in this circumstance. I asked wrong. God, I don't want to be anxious. Wind Guardian Liviosa. Anybody with the Harry Potter? You know? If you say the thing right, it happens. No, no, no. The confidence that we have is this. That if you ask anything according to will, he hears us. I can take peace in the fact that God is in charge of my life. 
even when I don't understand what's going on. Because God is doing the work in me. The things that I'm asking is changing and molding and shaping in me. And all I can do is take confidence in it. Because right now when I look at what my feelings lie to me, life lies to me, things lie to me. The only thing that doesn't is the scriptures. You know, all saints in the end, if you're a Christian, if you believe in the name of the Son of God, at some point you will know that you have eternal life. You will experience it in heaven. But some have the audacity to try to experience it here. The scriptures have been written to us so that we may know that we have eternal life. Live in the foundation of our confidence as a world. Live in the privilege of our confidence, entering into the place where the God lives. And live in the peace of knowing that he will do what he said. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for um, this beautiful truth, Lord. That we can boldly come into the room, the throne of confidence, Lord. That you've told us in your word what you will do and be for us, Lord. And you give us the strength and faith to ask, Lord. Let us step out of our two-by-two, two, Lord. Let us seek you. Let us live lives like that man in Tiananmen Square. Boldly to stand in front of whatever it is, small or large, hidden or unseen or seen, Lord. With the confidence that comes that you have our backs, Lord, and you will never let us go. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.